1928, the city planted 100,000 tulip bulbs. They bloomed in 1929, and that was really the first year of the festival. People came from everywhere. I kind of asked myself, how did that happen back in 1929? We didn't have social media, phones at our fingertips, news. But people did come to see the tulips, and every year they planted more and more. Today, there's about four and a half million tulips planted in the city and at the local attractions. We have about 500,000 visitors, we estimate, that come over nine days to this small community. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Ordinary People, Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Cliff Duvinois. Today, we're going to wrap up our series on the city of Holland. If you haven't done so already, take a trip over to TotalMichigan.com. Check out the other interviews that we did with Mayor Box, Windmill Island Manager Matt Helmus, and Linda Hart from the Holland Convention and Visitors Bureau. I can think of no better way to end this series than to talk about the festival that everybody knows about in Holland and is familiar with, not only across the state of Michigan, but across the country as well. If you've ever seen an image of Holland, Michigan, we always see the windmill, we always see the tulips, and we always see people dancing wearing those little wooden shoes. And of course, I'm talking about the Tulip Time Festival. The festival this year starts May 6th and continues until May 14th of 2023, so make sure to put that on your calendars. Now today, to guide us through the Tulip Time Festival, we are talking with Gwen Aurda, the Executive Director of the Tulip Time Festival. Gwen, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me today. Excellent. And I hope I said your last name right. You did. Excellent. Thank you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up? So I've been in Michigan my entire life. I came to Hope College in the 70s and never left. I fell in love with this community. Um, I worked uh, at a local automotive manufacturer for 25 years and wanted a career shift and ended up running and leading Tulip Time for the last 13 years. What were you studying at Hope College? Business administration. Ooh, there you go. Now, Many different Hope, directions you can go with that degree. That's why I did that. <laughs> now, Hope College is actually in the city of Holland? It is. It's in the city, and it's you know two blocks from downtown, and you, you see the students every day, and it's a great place to go to college. You learn a lot. It's a liberal arts private college, and I enjoyed my time here so much so that I stayed one summer and fell in love with Lake Michigan, and then I, I never left. Why did you decide to go into the automotive industry? It wasn't necessarily automotive. It was the fact that I was looking for work after I got out of school. And the automotive industry uh, at that time was Prince Corporation, locally in town and small organization. I think it was like 800 people. And at its peak, there was over 6,000 employees in the local area. So it was great to be part of a growing company. But I learned a lot about the automotive industry that I had not known because I didn't necessarily study that at Hope College. Now, when you were talking about being in automotive for 25 years and then you decided to get involved with the Tulip Festival, why did you make that decision? One of the programs that our local Chamber of Commerce has is called West Coast Leadership, and it's a nine-month program. You learn a lot about the community, social services, education, government, and nonprofits was one of our days, and we learned a lot about local nonprofits, and I thought, if I could run a nonprofit one day, that would just be great. Um, So I had a lot of skills that I learned working at Johnson Controls that really led me into this role well. And 2008-ish, that when the automotive industry kind of fell, we had a recession. It was kind of the time when I said, all right, now is a good time to make this shift, uh, make the jump. My children were older and 
in high school and, and married. So it seemed like a good time to do that. And I didn't realize that Tulip Time was looking for someone. I was doing some work down in Kalamazoo at the time. And they were like looking nationally for an executive director. And here I was in their backyard. The and I got to ask the I got to ask the question because this is actually one of the key reasons why people come to Holland. And whenever they see Holland, it's always the tulips. We're always thinking of the tulip festival. So when we're and it's my understanding and in the research, we're we're like in the top one hundred events. Yes. In the nation. Yes. Tulip Time is one of the top 100 events in the nation. We are celebrating our 94th festival this year, which is really amazing to have an organization be around that long. We were founded by a, a woman named Lida Rogers. She was a biology teacher at a local high school. She was not from this area, but she recognized there were a lot of kids in her class from of a, a Dutch descent, which is how our city was originally formed, was from some people that emigrated here from the Netherlands, uh, Albertus van Ralty and his followers. He was a preacher. And so she thought, well, let's do a project that could beautify the city. And how do we tie Holland today to Holland in the Netherlands? And let's plant tulips. So she kind of pitched her idea to the Women's Literary Club, the city council at the time. And in 1928, the city planted 100,000 tulip bulbs. They bloomed in 1929, and that was really the first year of the festival. People came from everywhere. I kind of asked myself, how did that happen back in 1929? So we didn't have social media, right. phones at our fingertips, news. Uh, but people did come to see the tulips, and every year they planted more and more. Today, there's about four and a half million tulips planted in the city and at the local attractions. So you can see tulips everywhere, and they're just beautiful. People come from all over. Every year I get emails and calls from people. This has been on my bucket list. My mother wants to come. We're coming from Florida. Uh, how accessible is the city because she's 80 years old? And people just love the flowers. And so our mission is to welcome the world to celebrate our Dutch heritage, our tulips, and our community today, which is not all Dutch. Uh, so we really have three components of things that we celebrate about the festival uh, when the tulips are blooming. The city plants most of the tulips. I sometimes laugh and say, well, we're the tulip time festival, but we don't buy or plant one tulip. We put the fun around when the tulips bloom. So we produce the parades, artisan markets, runs, entertainment shows at night. Uh, we have historic uh, costumed dancers that dance a folk dance called Dutch Dancing. So lots of fun things around the time when the tulips bloom. And we have about 500,000 visitors, we estimate, that come over nine days to this small community. So it's just a great time to celebrate spring, the warm weather, learn a little bit about Dutch history and the community today. And it's just a great time. So we're talking a little bit about the history of the festival. If you would, share with us a little bit about how the festival has evolved from when it started, let's say, 94 years. You said 94 years. 94. 94 years ago versus like where it is today. Back in the early, the 30s and into the 40s, about every couple of years, they added something new. So they would add one parade. Then they would add a musical show. In the 70s, they added more national entertainment. Um, from Hollywood, which was the first time that they'd really expanded outside of some local art and culture organizations. And over the years, we just always are looking for new programming. What's new and different? What do people want to come and see? 
I've had a passion to kind of work culturally with the Netherlands and bring artists here from the Netherlands that people wouldn't normally have exposure to unless you would go there. And that's actually an, an interesting question. And I did, I did explore this uh, with, with Matt Helmus. Talk to us a little bit about the relationship that you have with the Holland in Netherlands. So the relationship that I and our organization has is really through the World Tulip Summit Society. It's a nonprofit organized out of Canada. It's been in existence for over 20 years. Their goal is to bring together people who are doing programming around the tulip as a sign of friendship. So we have in this organization uh, botanical gardens, people that are doing like we are a festival. We have growers up in Canada that grow tulips that you know also are doing some programming around that. I've met people from Asia and Australia and Europe. So it's just really amazing. And there's a summit every two years. And the last one that they've had was in 2019 in the Netherlands. And since COVID, we've not gotten together again. Um, and that's where I've met Ebo Gulson, who is bringing for the second year tulip immersion garden into the community. And so normally your tulips are built and are planted in the ground. He builds up about three, four feet off the ground and then puts tulips in pots into this so that you can take Instagrammable pictures with tulips behind your head. He also designs these to be immersive that you can walk through them. So it's a little bit like the maze that you see, especially the corn mazes in the the fall time. Yes. Um, And it tells a story. So tulips were actually a flower that was found in Turkey. Most people think of tulips coming from the Netherlands. I did not know that. I didn't either. (laughs) So I got this job, and you learn a lot about it. So the tulips initially were a wildflower in Turkey. A botanist, uh, Clusius, from the Netherlands was in Turkey, and he found this flower. He brought it back to the Netherlands and helped it propagate into the crop that it is today. And what Holland is known for, or the Netherlands are known for, is tulips and tulip production from an agricultural standpoint. All the tulips that the city plants come every year from the Netherlands. Um, They're fresh bulbs that are planted every year in all the parks. And so I met Ebo at this summit, and he's like, let's talk about the story. So the installation has a turban. It has the Leiden Garden, where Clusius was from in the Netherlands. And then it has the City of Holland logo, which tells the story of how the tulip ended up here in Holland. And this year we have a fourth uh, new installation that will showcase how Delft became the pottery of the Netherlands. And the story behind Delft and hand painting. I mean, everybody thinks Delft in the blue and white pottery, which it is. But he'll help tell the story of where that came from and, and what it is. I did not know that was the name of it, Delft. Delft. Or the white and blue pottery. Because I see that in a lot of the stores around here that are carrying more of the, the tourist fair, so yes, to say. I absolutely. didn't know that was its name. Okay. Yes. Well, that's really cool. Now, with regards to when you come on board to become the the executive director of the Tulip Festival. Why don't you talk to us about a couple of the challenges that that you had to face when you were coming into this role? Well, one challenge coming from a large manufacturing company to a small nonprofit is you don't have all the support systems. Your computer doesn't work. It's up to you to fix. You can't call IT. So it was much more a challenge on the business side of things to run an organization of 10 people, um, and you have to be self-sufficient. So that was one challenge. The other challenge was learning and communicating and collaborating with so many partners. 
um, in the community, which is one of the things I love to do. So it was pretty easy for me, but yet I had to learn who was who. Because as I said earlier, the tulips are all planted by the city, by the parks department. So you need to build a relationship with them, with Windmill Island. Sponsors, we have over 100 corporate sponsors that help sponsor what we do. And so it's a lot of relationship building. Not a challenge for me, but yet something that was different and something that I had to focus on the first couple of years to be able to help create the festival as it is today. We're an independent, nonprofit organization. Many people do think we're part of the city. We're not. We just collaborate well with them um, to plant the tulips and help do the programming. But um, we are an independent organization. So running it fiscally and being able to, you know, make a little money every year so you can reinvest into things the following year um, is always a challenge. Many things we do in terms of programming are free to attend. So you've got to find a way to help manage those expenses because they still are expenses for those items like fireworks and parades do have a budget impact for us. So it's trying to manage the difference between where you're making your money on ticketed events and and providing the free things that the community can enjoy. And for our audience, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to dive into much more what it takes to make Tulip Time so special, what are the staples of Tulip Time, and what you can expect at this year's festival. We'll see you after the break. If you are enjoying this episode, well then, let me tell you, there's plenty more interesting stories to come. Michigan is full of people doing extraordinary things. And you can get these great stories sent directly to your inbox. Just go to totalmichigan.com slash join. Enter your email address and join our community. When you do, we will also send you our top five interviews, the powerful lessons we've learned from these people, an invitation to our Facebook group, behind the scenes stories and pictures, as well as advance notice of upcoming guests and events. Just go to totalmichigan.com slash join. It's fast, it's free, and it's easy. Sign up today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ordinary People, Extraordinary Things. I'm your host, Cliff Duvenois. Today, we're talking all things tulip time, the biggest festival not only for the city of Holland, but as Gwen shared, one of the top 100 festivals in the United States, which is quite a feat. Continuing to take us on this journey today is Gwen Auerda, Executive Director of the Tulip Time Festival. Gwen, what I'd like to do is explore a little bit more about what the Tulip Time Festival is and some of the staples of the festival that makes Tulip Time, well, Tulip Time. Yeah, great question. We have done a number of programming things that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, And so those are what we call our legacy events because they happen every year. We do a 5, 10K run through Tulip Lanes and the Historic District, which is beautiful. It's a great run. It's in the city. An artisan market. We have over 300 artisans that come and work in that market and sell their wares. It's really a great opportunity to see some uh, handmade, homemade things. Those are two of our great events. We have parades. So right now we have two parades, a kinder parade and a volks parade. So kinder parade means children's parade in Dutch. So all the school children work on different Dutch-themed items. So fishing is big in the Netherlands. So they work in their art class and they make different things relative to fishing. Dutch masters, the painters, uh, Van Gogh and so forth, are all, they carry different things around that. So the children march in the parade all in Dutch costume and carrying some of the wares that they've, they've worked on along with our local bands and some floats. The Saturday parade, the Volks parade, is called the People's Parade. 
And you'll find bands there. We probably have 14, 15 bands that march a two and a half mile route, which is one of the longest parades in the state, um, along with floats and different walking groups. And, and that's always a really fun thing. We have street scrubbing. Most people will say, what is street scrubbing? Well, in the Netherlands, they used to manually scrub the streets to get ready for a festival or an, a special event. So we do street scrubbing prior to the Thursday parade. And we get out the city council members and the dignitaries and invited guests and, and the community. And we scrub the streets. So someone from the mayor's office will have a white glove and sweep the street and say, it's dirty. Oh, my goodness. We must clean the streets. And so the fire hydrants are turned on. People can fill their buckets with water and brooms. And we walk down the parade route, scrubbing the street, getting ready for the first parade. So there's a little ceremonial thing there, but it's really fun. Um, People enjoy coming and, and scrubbing the streets with us. We have Dutch dancing, a program that's been around about 55 years. So we dress our dancers in period clothing from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. They dance to a folk dance. It's about 15 minutes long. This program starts with kids in third grade, and you can go until you just choose not to dance anymore until the alumni program. We have mothers and daughters that dance together, um, aunts and cousins, and many people, you know, even into their 60s and 70s are still dancing today. Um, And that's a really neat program. They volunteer their time to learn the dance and participate in the dance. And there's over 50 performances during the nine days. Actually, that was something that just popped into my head is that if you're, especially if you're talking about kids dancing, is this something that they primarily learn at home? Do you have classes around here where people can go and learn that? There are classes. So you would sign up to be part of the the dancing program. Parents teach the grade school and middle school kids the costuming is very precise. It's made just for you. You can't walk into a store and buy one. And there's some pretty strict guidelines around the costuming because back in the early 1900s, they didn't have zippers in Velcro. So the whole Ooh. costume is put together with buttons and hooks and eyes. It's very authentic. And part of that authenticity comes with how it's constructed, not so much what you can see on the outside, um, although we do try to stay very close to patterns. I learned when I was in the Netherlands that if you're wearing a blue dress as a woman, that means you're in mourning. Not black. Most of us think of black. But blue. Blue is the mourning color. So it means there was a death in your family. Some provinces wear a specific costume. If you're a fisherman, the men might wear knickers because they're in the water and they're fishing. Um, so there's a, every province that we have a costume that's represented from all has a story behind it and why it is the way that it is. We have, there's no patterns for those. So many of our directors have, have made patterns by looking at books that are all written in Dutch to see what they look like. And then we have modified them a bit so we can dance in them as well. But they're really uh, a special thing to see that many people out dancing and having a great time. Let's talk a little bit about, because you said before about how you try to interject some new things as the festivals goes. And I'm, and I'm sure that there might even be some one-off things, like you're able to get somebody to come for one year. Talk to us a little bit about, like, let's say, for instance, for this year, for 2023, what would be some things that, that people could look forward to that they haven't seen before? So one of my favorite things, and I saw this group when I was in the Netherlands in 2019, is called the Bicycle Band Crescendo. So just imagine 50 people wearing a Dutch costume, wooden shoes, riding a bicycle, 
with an instrument and writing information like a marching band. It's pretty <laughs> phenomenal and pretty wow. crazy to look at. And I mean, the sousaphone players have the big round sousaphone and they're, they're playing that and steering their bike at the same time. The bikes have been adapted for saxophone players, for example. They steer their bike with their elbow with a little adaption that comes off the handlebar. Oh, that's neat. How you do that, I, I was a musician. I played flute when I was in school. And to be able to do that march at the same time was enough of a feat. But now put yourself in wooden shoes and on a bicycle. I can't imagine. But they are coming <laughs> from the Netherlands this year. There'll be six performances between the Friday and Sunday, the last weekend of the festival at one of our local football stadiums. So they're all free to attend due to the generosity of some sponsors and family. They have fam the bicycle band people that started it, the Baron family, um, just celebrated 100 years of having the band in the small town called Appenda in the Netherlands. But the children of Jan Baron live here in Grand Rapids, one of them. One's out in Linden, Washington. And they're all coming for a family reunion to watch this band perform because this is their first time in the U.S. They do about 40, 50 performances around Europe every year. And this is all a volunteer group of people. Certainly. Um, and they've been to Japan six times, but they've never been to the U.S. So we're thrilled to have them here and to have the family be able to see them and, and watch. Now, for somebody that's coming to the Tulip Time Festival, perhaps they've never been here before. Maybe they're even hearing this and thinking to themselves, man, I'd kind of like to go check this out. What would be some of the, let's say, maybe like three things that you would recommend if you're coming here, these are three things that you should see, do, or experience. One is Windmill Island. It's a treasure. It's the very last windmill to leave the Netherlands. It's a working grist mill, and it's been here for over 50 years. And so that is a great park. There's plenty of tulips there. It's fun to see the windmill and how it works and operates. You can walk through it. That's a, a must-see. Tulips throughout the downtown area and the city parks. There's two parks that are in walking distance to downtown by a couple of blocks. Centennial Park and Window on the Waterfront. Great ways and places to see the tulips. And then depending on the day you're here, I would look at what else would you have time to do. One thing that we also do is a walking tour. It's an hour and a half walking tour through downtown, about a mile and a half total, all on flat land. So it's wheelchair accessible. And you can learn about the history of the community the community today, you walk through Hope College, you walk through the parks, you get to look at tulips as well along the way. And that's a really great opportunity to get an overview of our community. And those are offered all day, every day. And, and so you could even get a ticket the day of when you're here if they're not sold out, which typically does happen. You can get tickets in advance as well. So those are some things I would think about doing right away when you're here to say, okay, let me understand what's, what's around, what park wants walk if you can. Like I said, we're a small community, so sometimes parking and getting around can be a challenge if you don't know exactly where you're going. But there's a few one-way streets downtown, but there's there's plenty of signage. You can get your find your way. And because this is so Dutch heavily themed and you've got all the artisans that are coming in, and I'm a foodie, so maybe I'm asking this more for me. What would be some cuisine that you would recommend that I try? I would go to Big Lake Brewery. They have um, some great Dutch-inspired food. They do stamp pot um, and a couple of other Dutch food items during the festival. They also have a Tulip Time Lager beer, which is great. It's the first time we've done that with them. 
The beer is designed or, or made just for tulip time, and it's the cans are wrapped in our poster of that we have an annual poster contest. Oh, nice. And, and so it's a really great souvenir to take home to if, you're, if you don't really like beer. But it's, um, so they've got some great food. Um, there's also great pubs and restaurants up and down 8th Street. Um, I can, you can just listen. They're all on the website as well. But New Holland Brewery is a great place to go. Quito is also lovely, has um, kind of the Spanish cuisine and the tapas. And, before, and so now what you're talking about website, if somebody wants to check out more about Tulip Time, uh, some of the activities that they got going on, where would be the best way for them to connect? Go to tuliptime.com, look at the shows and events, click on that link, and then it will tell you by day all of the activities that are happening, what things need tickets, what things don't, and that you can plan your day based on when you would be here. And some of the things I mentioned earlier are open all nine days, so those are easy opportunities. Some things are only available on one day. One of our evening entertainment shows this year is Girl Named Tom. They were the trio that won The Voice last year. Oh, yes. That's a show that will be out at one of our local churches, Central Wesleyan. So there's ticketed events, and they're only here on Thursday. So if you're coming Thursday and are interested in that, that could be an opportunity for you. So kind of look and see what day you think you're coming and then what activities are happening. Or you can look at it the other way and say, let me see what's happening. I want to see Sarah Evans. She's here on Friday. So then you plan your day around that. Excellent. Gwen, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule, because I know Tulip Time is just a handful of weeks away, so thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. And for our audience, you can go to TotalMichigan.com, click on Gwen's interview, and see all the links that she mentioned above. While you're there, make sure to check out the other interviews that we did with Holland's Mayor Bach, as well as the Windmill Island Manager Matt Helmus, and learn more about the other great festivals and activities that Highland has to offer with the interview with Linda Hart from the Holland CVB. And don't forget to join our email list while you're there. See you again next week with another great episode.